Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. California voters will encounter a ballot measure this fall that may sound familiar. Proposition 21 aims to give cities more leeway to expand rent control. The measure comes two years after a similar initiative failed by nearly 20-point margin and a year after the state legislature enacted a rent cap. Then our election coverage continues with a look at Measure RR. Caltrain is asking voters in San Francisco, San Mateo, and Santa Clara counties to say yes to a one-eighth cent sales tax to fund Caltrain's operations, maintenance, and capital projects. The measure needs to pass by a two-thirds majority. That's all next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Advocates of expanding rent control in California are back this year with Proposition 21, two years after voters turned down a similar ballot measure. Proposition 21 would allow cities to put limits on how much landlords can annually increase housing rents. And the measure would also allow cities to bring single-family homes under rent control. In 2019, the California legislature established a statewide rent cap of 5% plus inflation on buildings that are at least 15 years old. We're going to look at both sides of the debate on Prop 21 and what it would do compared with existing laws. Joining us, Aaron Baldessari, affordable housing reporter for KQED News, and welcome, Aaron. Hi, thanks for having me. Glad to have you, and also glad to have the two sides here. Deborah Carlton joining us, Executive Vice President with the State Public Affairs California Apartment Association, representing the No on 21 campaign. Welcome, Deborah Carlton. Thank you for having me. Good to have you, and also good to have Renee Christian Moya, who joins us from the Yes on 21 campaign. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning to you. And let me begin, Aaron, with you, Aaron Baldur. Sorry, uh, I'd like to begin by just simply saying that this is another shot at the, uh, for some of you who know this legislation, the Costa-Hawkins 1995 legislation, which would in effect change city and uh, county power to enact rent control laws. But it, f- it feels a little bit, Aaron, like deja vu all over again for California voters, because uh, Michael Weinstein of the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, who is putting a lot of money, they are putting a lot of money behind this proposition, uh, did so in a similar proposition, Prop 20, excuse me, Prop 10 back in 2018. What are the differences? Well, Prop 10 really was a more wholesale repeal of Costa Hawkins. For this, for Prop 21, I think the, the uh, campaign learned their lessons. Uh, you know, as you said earlier, Prop 10 was, was you know, roundly defeated uh, two years ago. And so this is kind of a scaled back version of uh, the, the measure that voters 
were voting on two years ago, it doesn't repeal all of Costa Hawkins. It just takes aim at certain provisions. So what are the provisions? What does it lay out? Right. So it's important to remember, and I think this was a big, you know, something I heard a lot two years ago. Prop 21, like Prop 10, doesn't impose rent control throughout the state. That was a big misconception that I heard two years ago. So it doesn't do anything on day one. What it does do is it allows cities that want to have some form of rent control to allow buildings that were that are older than 15 years to be under rent control. And it also allows uh, single family homes or condos owned by people who have more than two units. You have to be a natural person um, with more than two units. And it would bring back vacancy control, which is probably one of the more controversial issues in this uh, measure. And that means that when a tenant leaves the uh, an apartment or, or house, uh, the landlord wouldn't be able to charge whatever rent they want. So this requires local governments that adopt rent control to increase rental rates by 15% during the first three years. We also have uh, presently um, state law, which was uh, initially forged by David Chu as Assembly Bill 1482 that allows uh, maximum annual increases only up to 5% plus regional inflation uh, and protections against really uh, going after long-term tenants. Uh, uh, this is uh, statewide, so what we're talking about is mainly changes locally, right? Right. So what's important to remember is that when Costa Hawkins, that 1995 uh, law that we keep referring to, when that uh, legislation was enacted, it made it uh, illegal to have rent control on buildings built after 1995. And it also froze local ordinances in place. So, for example, many cities across this or actually just a few cities across the state, um, I should say, uh, had passed rent control ordinances prior to 1995, cities like LA, San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley. And those ordinances went in place in the late 70s and, and early 80s. And they prohibited rent control on new construction. And so when Costa Hawkins was enacted, it said that cities that, um, that uh, basically froze those uh, buildings in place. So cities couldn't put rent control on buildings after they had enacted those rules. So for example, in LA, which imposed rent control in 1978 or 79, any buildings built after that were not under rent control and Costa Hawkins kind of froze that in place. So it's been a long time now since those ordinances were enacted in, city, in many cities that have rent control. And so Prop 21 would say, you know, you could bring those buildings under rent control. And what does this do with single family homes exactly? So it says that um, that any natural person who owns more than two single family homes or condos, uh, cities would be able to impose rent control on those uh, homes. We, you talked about um, the state bill that was passed last year and that did impose rent control on some single family homes that are owned by real estate trusts and corporations, but not by natural people. So, you know, you could have a homeowner, for example, who maybe owns three homes or four homes, and that would not be under those statewide protections. But if a city decided to adopt a form of rent control, they could choose to put some of those homes under rent control. And could you just flesh out a little bit uh, about this controversy you alluded to with respect to vacancy control, what 21 would do on that score? 
Yeah, um, so it would allow uh, cities to bring back vacancy control. Prior to Costa Hawkins, there were only five cities in the state that had some form of vacancy control, Santa Monica, Berkeley, Katati, East Palo Alto, and West Hollywood. And that would, they, they basically said, those cities said that if a, if a tenant leaves, uh, you can't just charge whatever the market rate is for the next tenant. You can only raise the rent by a certain amount. And so Prop 21 is saying cities could choose to do that again, and they would ha be required to allow a rent, country, a rent increase of 15% during the first three years. Again, if you've just joined us, uh, Aaron Baldessari is with us, affordable housing reporter with KQED News. And we also have the pro and con sides of Prop 21. Let me begin with the pro side with Renee Christian Moya, who is with the Yes on 21 campaign. And uh, we've got about 70 percent more rent paid here in California than the rest of the nation. Christian, is 21 going to change that or to what degree do you believe it will? Well, absolutely. And again, thank you for having me this morning. We have to recognize that the housing affordability crisis in California has got to the point that it has precisely because we have allowed rents to increase far higher than we have things like wages. Uh, in fact, far higher than inflation. Uh, there was a study uh, some months ago that the Financial Times uh, looked at that showed that something like over half of the inflation rate in the United States as a whole uh, was the result of increases in rents. In other words, rental costs are the driving factor in inflation uh, in the United States these days. And so what we are trying to propose is to say, look, there are certain hot real estate markets in the state of California that not only need, but have asked for, they want to be able to expand their local rent control ordinances because they tend to be stronger than the statewide minimum that was set up by uh, the state legislature last year. And so Prop 21 is an answer to that. It basically says to those local governments, you can have these protections, you can have these tools to enact the policies that you need. But for those cities and counties that don't need those protections, that don't want, those kind of policies, they wouldn't have to enact them. Again, Prop 21 provides us that flexibility to be able to make those determinations at the local level. And as an example of that, uh, here in LA in May of this year, the Los Angeles City Council adopted a unanimous resolution that called on the state legislature to loosen up restrictions on rent control. In other words, the Costa Hawkins Act that went into effect or, or that resolution was passed in May of this year. That shows a very clear determination by some of our cities to do more. And the trouble is right now that the status quo doesn't allow them to do so. Uh, this is why, again, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors unanimously uh, adopted an endorsement of Proposition 21. There are cities where they want to go further the state should allow them to do that. Prop 21 will allow them to do that. Yeah, and we should say Bernie Sanders is behind it, and so is the California Democratic Party. Uh, and by the way, if you'd like to join us, we do want to hear from you. If you have questions about Prop 21, we're going to hear from the other side in just a moment. But if you've decided how you're voting, uh, how'd you come to that decision? And what are your thoughts about rent control and the state's current rent cap? You can give us a call now, and I invite you to do that. 
Join us at 866-733-6786. number again for your calls, toll-free, is 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email. Any questions you might have or comments to forum at kqed.org. Let me bring uh, Deborah Carlton into this, Executive Vice President of State Pub and State Public Affairs with California Apartment Association, representing No. 121. And a lot of the uh, No. 121 seems to come down to studies that have done, and there are a great number of them, uh, and many economists who are saying not only rent control doesn't work, and uh, we've got rent control in San Francisco, Berkeley, and other cities where essentially we've seen declines in overall potential housing availability and production of housing. Is that your main argument against 21? Yeah, yeah, you know, that is the, the studies and any legitimate economist will tell you that if you want to see your homeless population increase or you want to see a decline in housing production, impose rent control. Um, you know, the, the, the biggest problem with our housing prices today is we don't have enough of it and we don't have enough vacancy. So while rent control would help people in place at this time, it will not help the future of California. We don't have a balance of our jobs and our housing today. Cities and the NIMBYs have gotten in the way of making that happen. And we don't have enough affordable housing. So it is extremely important that we not uh, have a knee-jerk approach to uh, the answer, which is uh, Prop 21, and that's to put rent control in place. I think it's going to make our housing situation much worse. And you're saying it's less profitable for builders to construct housing uh, when you have rent control, aren't you? Yeah, well, you know, it's it, for example, in San Francisco, it's $1,000 a square foot to build. And it will take you, in some cases, almost 10 years to get that building constructed. They're never going to be able to see a return on their investment in cities that have tight housing markets if you don't allow them uh, to have at least a decent return. AB 1482 was the answer and is the answer to at least a reasonable rate of return uh, if you're forcing individuals to have uh, a you know less than CPI increase in their housing like you have in San Francisco, that's a big problem. Okay, we're going to break away for just a minute or so. If you would like to join us again, you are invited to do so. Call us toll-free at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're doing election coverage, and we're talking about Proposition 21 on the California ballot that would allow California cities to expand rent control with Aaron Baldessari, who is affordable housing reporter for KQED News, Deborah Carlton, Executive Vice President of the California Apartment Association with the State Public Affairs part of that, and she represents No on 21, and uh, Renee Christian Moya, who represents Yes on 21. We do want to hear from you, and if you have questions or if you've decided how you're voting, let us know what your decision is, and you can let us know what your thoughts are about rent control in general and about the state's current rent cap. Governor Newsom has said, for example, that the statewide rent control essentially is the nation's strongest, and these rent caps uh, are protection again, as far as renters are concerned. You may uh, disagree with the governor, but that is essentially his take on this, and he says the short-term eviction relief also um, is good for Californians. 21, on the other hand, the governor says risks diminishing availability of affordable housing in the state. If you want to weigh in, we do want to hear from you. And uh, our guests, uh, as I said, represent both yes and no, as well as Aaron Baldessari. And before I go to calls here, Aaron, I want to go back to you for just a moment. Why uh, have these, uh, go back to Prop 10 for a moment, as well as Prop 21 now. You have to ask why these can't go through the legislature. 
I always ask. Well, you know, um, I think that AB 1482, which was that uh, rent cap law that, that passed in 2019, was an attempt to create some sort of compromise measure, kind of in an effort to uh, prevent um, another ballot measure that we're seeing. Obviously, it didn't work. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here talking today. But, you know, I think it it's interesting to see who is uh, backing this campaign. Um, you know, you mentioned Michael Weinstein of the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. You know, he's really been advocating for rent control. And, you know, he's a highly controversial figure. Um, he often gets involved in things that you might not think have anything to do with providing health care to AIDS patients. But um, he has come out in support of this. He has very deep pockets. And he said that, you know, AB 1482 wasn't good enough. This law that was passed in 2019 wasn't, didn't go far enough in providing rights to tenants. And, you know, I think a lot of tenants advocates would agree that it didn't go far enough, that they would like to see a repeal of Costa-Hawkins or at least some of the provisions repealed which is what's being proposed with Prop 21. And I mentioned who was uh, supporting the measure. I should say those against it include Governor Newsom, as well as the California Apartment Association and uh, Essex Property, uh, as well as Pantheon Real Estate and uh, California Seniors Association League, uh, Advocates League, excuse me. So um, that's that's the lineup on both sides. Let me bring a caller aboard here. And uh, Alana is our first caller. Good morning. Hello. Hi, Alana, join us, please. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I, am a, I am a very small housing provider. I own a duplex in Richmond, which we bought before rent control was passed in Richmond. And I just want to talk about something that comes up a lot in these conversations, which is the idea that all rent control laws, local rent control laws, have to have a provision that provides allows housing providers to um, make a fair return on their investment. Now, this language is required by law, or it, it is um, uh, a great risk of being challenged in court. So all the language, the local language always includes something around fair return, um, some process by which housing providers can apply for a rent raise to cover the costs of providing housing for example, a new roof or a, a paint job to keep buildings up to code, safe and habitable. Unfortunately, in the in these jurisdictions like Richmond, like Berkeley, like Oakland and San Francisco, this process rarely results in an actual rent raise that will cover these costs because the mission of these organizations um, is to keep rents low, as low as legally possible. And so keeping up with the costs of providing housing with the costs of these programs themselves, which are very expensive, they're very expensive bureaucracies, and with the cost of rising property taxes, um, becomes really quite impossible over the long term. And so fair return is really a myth and a farce. We are not allowed to keep up with costs. Alana, let me jump in here because uh, in the interest of time, I think you've made your point. I want to get a response from uh, Renee Christian Moya. Renee, uh, trying to keep landlords from getting a fair rate of return? 
Wow, I actually wanted to respond to a few things because I think that uh, some of the, the way that this discussion has kind of evolved is I don't think been very fair. I've, I think a number of the assertions have been made, but on the on the fair rate of return, let's be very clear, that is a process that is regulated by the courts. It looks at net operating income to determine whether or not a landlord is uh, staying in the black. Uh, in other words, it's not losing any money. I can't speak to Alana's specific experience because you know I don't know where she is or what jurisdiction she uh, falls under. I can tell you from the experience here in, in Los Angeles where I live that uh, the housing department of the city of Los Angeles, HCID, they approve something between 80 and 90% of all rent increases that are above the local allowable rent control increase when a landlord applies for it. In other words, if you are hurting because of a, you know your local rent control ordinance not allowing you to in increase your rent, then the law allows you to be able to recoup those costs. And again, in LA at the very least, uh, that number, that approval rate is somewhere between 80 and 90% of the time. And so the vast majority of landlords in places like LA, and I'm pretty sure that this is the same in other parts of the state. Otherwise, again, folks would have recourse to the courts, then they, they do allow for those rents to be increased uh, further than that. And so I wanted to be able to, to make plain that. I also right, want to I just think, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I want to get another caller aboard here. Uh, and in the interest of time, let me go to Lewis next, who's been waiting patiently. Lewis, please. Good morning, Michael and guests. I have some observations about how rents got to be where they are. And it seems to me that it has everything to do with political decisions in the past and the fact that many people want to live in California. And if this is a general problem with these two issues, why are landlords the only ones that are being asked to pay for this? Uh, can I go to you on that, Deborah Carlton? And I thank you for that. You know, that's a that's a, a good observation. Uh, we certainly are, are bringing in people faster than we're able to build. Uh, local governments are not allowing construction at the rate that they should. Um, and then, of course, as we always say, with uh, Prop 21, um, there is no builder that's going to want to build in a rent control city that doesn't allow you uh, to at least earn uh, something close to the consumer price index. Um, it's just not going to happen. It's going to make uh, our situation worse, our homeless situation worse. And Renee Christian Moy, I know you had some concerns about uh, other things that uh... Deborah Carlton had said, and I'd like to give you an opportunity to uh, say what's on your mind. Well, absolutely. There are a couple of things that we have to look at. First off, there's been a lot of talk of AB 1482. AB 1482 allows rent increases up to, of up to 10% a year. In practice, this has looked at uh, like increases of above 8% in LA County and in the surrounding areas. This is an allowable rent increase of above 9% in the San Francisco Bay Area because of uh, slightly higher inflation. Uh, and that means, by the way, that this is a study that Zillow uh, released right after the passage of AB 1482, that only 7% of renters in the state of California are being effectively protected by AB 1482. This is not a knock on AB 1482. I think it was an important 
uh, change in the law, but it wasn't the answer to the issue. I, I think also in terms of the studies, in the last couple of years, we have seen studies by the USC Price School, the UCLA Luskin Institute, the UC Berkeley Haas Institute, and others that actually start from the premise that economists in the 1980s, in particular in 90s, made claims about rent control that had nothing to do with the empirical evidence, which actually shows that rent control has very little impact on the construction of new housing. In fact, the USC Price School, uh, there's a quote that, that the study starts with, which is to say, economists used to make the claim that minimum wage was bad for the economy, that it would lead to fewer jobs, you know, and, and otherwise impact the economy in negative terms. And in the same way that we have now found that the minimum wage does not do the same thing, uh, does not cause extra problems in the economy, we are finding more and more that control does not do the things that it, they, that it is often claimed to do. And I think that that is important. I also want to say something about- Let me the just uh, insert another point here because I think it's been pointed out a number of times, <clears throat> excuse me, on this program, whenever we talk about housing and zoning and uh, restrictions with zoning and uh, not only political as well as bureaucratic obstacles uh, really are, are a great deal of the picture too. I just want to get that in there, but please go ahead and say Absolutely. what you need to say. And just on the construction of housing, look, the nonprofit, by the way, we, we keep talking about Michael Weinstein, who is the president of a nonprofit organization. He is not bankrolling it himself because he is not a billionaire. And I'm afraid to say that we've not spoken at all about the opposition to Prop 21, which is being funded entirely by billionaires and billion dollar corporations to the tune of nearly $80 million already. The no on 21 side has twice as much money as we do so far, and it is counting. And the reason why I mention this is because that nonprofit that is funding the Proposition 21 campaign gains no benefit from rent control. In fact, AIDS Healthcare Foundation are actually one of the biggest uh, developers of nonprofit housing for very low income people in the city of LA. Nearly a thousand units are already uh, built in the last few years, within the last two to three years. All right, Renee, excuse me, I'm going to have to jump in here again, because in the interest of fair time, I want to go back to Deborah Carlton and get her response to some of what you laid out here and then get some callers in as well. Deborah, please. So a bunch of points here that uh, I'll try to quickly answer. Uh, Renee obviously hasn't finished reading all those studies because USC, Berkeley, et cetera, have all said that uh, rent stabilization can affect your housing stock. And in fact, they've seen a 15% reduction in housing as a result of strict forms of rent control. It's a blunt tool that doesn't work. Uh, let's also be clear that Michael Weinstein, the president of the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, may have constructed some housing, but one of the biggest slumlords in Los Angeles. In fact, his tenants a are thousand suing units, him. His, yeah, his tenants are suing him because of the slum housing that he's provided, and it's been a big problem. I'm glad that you mentioned Times, that because we actually has, just got hold on, we're, we're cross talking Renee, here. Could you hold your hold your fire, Renee, please? <laughs> Let her uh, the L.A. Times referred to him as a, a slumlord in Los Angeles. He's being sued by his tenants. So let's be clear. We're not talking about somebody who's providing quality housing. Ninety five percent of the uh, pro sides funding is coming from the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. We have over 200 pages of contributions, even though the largest funders you'll see uh, uh, announced on some of the commercials. 85% uh, of the small landlords are providing the funding for the no side on Prop 21. 
All right, I want to read some comments that are coming in. We've got a few tweets here. Uh, Serena says, has rent control ever worked anywhere in the world during any time in history to increase residential construction? We need new housing in California, so I'd like to know why we're wasting money and resources on such a ridiculous proposition. On the other hand, here's Randy who tweets, I'd like to know why so many falsely claim Prop 21 will reduce new construction when the initiative revokes a law which has resulted in little construction for 25 years. And here's Bill, uh, who's opposed, who says rising rents is the symptom of insufficient new housing. Rent control will do nothing to address the problem. Another comment from Chris, who says this is the only proposition where I'm going against my progressive voting pattern uh, partners. This is a way for the NIMBYs and city councils to avoid the hard work to change zoning and code regulations to allow building additional housing as we pine for our single-family ranchers on a big lot. And a question from a listener uh, who says, Mr. Renee Moya and the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, who is backing Prop 21, say rent control is needed to help keep families in their homes? What efforts is the AIDS Healthcare Foundation investing in to actually build affordable housing units and housing for homeless families? Isn't it true that AHF has tried to stop new apartments from being built? Could I go to you on that, Renee? I quite literally just explained the fact that uh, in the last two years alone, the Healthy Housing Foundation, which is the production side of the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, has built something like a nearly a thousand units of extremely low income and very low income housing. Unlike actually the 90% of the money that's going into the No on 21 side, Deb is lying. The vast majority of the money that is being provided to the No on 21 side is coming from corporate landlords and real estate interests. We need to be very clear about that. That is not the small mom and pop landlords. And anyone could look that up to see that that is the case. Well, another but quick question for, if I, I want to go back to Deborah right. Carlton for a moment I, with a quick question, and that is, what does this do, what does 21 do to the, uh, to the housing stock in your judgment, uh, or from your perspective being against 21, affordable housing stock particularly? Yeah, sure. And we have affordable housing folks who are also opposing it because the one of the flaws in uh, Proposition 21 is it does not uh, provide protections for affordable housing providers. In fact, it could put rent control on them as well. So it will, in fact, you know, a lot of the, the individuals who are providing housing today say we're just we're done. We're not going to provide housing in California. We can't. If Proposition 21 passes, uh, we will move to other states. That's a huge problem for California. It's a huge problem for our uh, financial side by way of our businesses. They're not going to have a place for their new employees to live. Let me go to another caller, and this is someone supporting 21. Tracy joins us from San Francisco. Tracy, welcome. Hi, yeah. Um, hi, Michael. I do not support 21. I will oh, be I'm voting sorry. no for 21. And um, here's the reason. Before you say that, the Board of Supervisors unanimous, unanimously endorsed 21. Well, our same Board of Supervisors here in San Francisco have also unanimously endorsed tenants to not pay rent permanently, that is, small print impacted by COVID. Before you say that Bernie Sanders endorses Prop 21 also, we all know that Bernie Sanders wants everything to be free, free college, free health care, etc. What you have here is an ad that says keep families in their homes. What, keep families in their homes for free, paying little or no rent? That's where this is going. This is the illegal taking of private property here. You know, live for free. Rent, that rent pays for all of the utilities and the high cost of living that landlords have to pay in order, or in order to provide housing. But none of that is considered. Tenants are always, they want to pay rent last. 
You know, that should be the top priority payment bill of the month for tenants. I'm voting right. no. I'm going to have to say goodbye to you because we're coming up toward the end here, and I want to go back to uh, our reporter, Aaron uh, Baldessari. And Aaron, a question from Casey who says, what happens to rent-controlled units when market rates plummet as they are right now with 21? Um. That's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I think it would depend on local ordinances. Um, if if there is rent control uh, involved, I know that, you know, in San Francisco, there was a provision to allow landlords, uh, if they were reducing rent because of COVID, to not have that count towards um, rent control so that it wouldn't reset the rent at this lower rate. Um, but that would be a question for local ordinances. Again, Prop 21 does not impose rent control across the state. It allows cities to adopt their own rules. Um, and so that would be kind of on a case by case basis, city by city. And if we're, uh, we've just got about a minute left here, Aaron, can you, um, we've been talking about who supports and who is uh, opposed to this measure. Um, anything that we know from polling at this point about where things stand? You know, I haven't seen poll numbers, um, but folks that I've talked to are, um, well, I guess optimistic or pessimistic, pessimistic, depending where you stand, but folks generally don't see that this is uh, has likelihood of passing. Um, you know, there's still a lot of um, confusion about what the proposition would do. And, you know, obviously voters turned it down two years ago. So well, I hope we like have. Uh, I'm sorry. I just was going to say, I hope we've diminished some of that confusion. And I think uh, you've helped us here, Aaron. I appreciate it. And also thank Deborah Carlton and Renee Christian Moya representing the no and, and yes on 21 campaigns respectively. And, uh, we're going to talk all about Caltrain uh, in the in the uh, segment ahead with Dan Brecky, so stay tuned for that. It's next. I'm Michael Krasny. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.